1: Welcome to the Small Business Administration Award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio, it is Wednesday, the 16th, and we have yet another amazing show for you too. great entrepreneurs and their stories. And, you know, we're always about a week ahead in terms of recording. I have right now recorded about 10 guests ahead or something like that. It just takes a little time for us to turn things around. Normally, if you do a podcast interview, it could be three or four months before they actually air. We think that model is a little bit ridiculous. You don't remember it when it actually airs. And so no one promotes it and gets excited. It's just not a good model, but that's the way most people, most shows do it. We are a little bit different here. We only try to stay a week or so ahead, but the reason I say that is we have just interviewed an amazing group of entrepreneurs and their stories a great mix of young and old men and women uh famous entrepreneurs famous stories and stories that you've never heard of for example today we have ken kavronovic he is the founder of web.com you don't get any more important to the industry than that a URL like that should tell you how early he was to found that in the history of the internet. Anyway, he is with us. He's had an amazing career. He also the guy who brought the Kelly blue book to the internet. He is going to tell us about his career and we're going to learn from him. After that, Ian zoo will be with us. He is the founder of school joy, a new app designed to help Fund and understand the nonprofit uh, education space. But to a larger point, after that, in the upcoming shows, we have the founder of Cheddar Up, one of the largest apps for paying a whole bunch of teams. Like if your soccer team needs to buy cleats all together, this is how they might do it. Dan Shapiro of Glowforge, the largest 3D printer company in the world. Uh, a guy who built a watch company that takes hundred year old antique watches and turns them into brand new wristwatches. And then the list goes on and on the largest ceramic coating company in the world, the number one website for spy thrillers, an AI company for negotiations with tax credits. Amazing stuff coming up. Thanks for being with us.
1: School for Startups Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from @entrepreneurjim Jim and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show.
2: We are back in again, thank you so very much for being with us today. Very excited to introduce my first guest boy, as he had an amazing, impressive career, please welcome Ken Gavronovic to the show. He is author of a new book called business breakthrough 3.0 building a truly dynamic and resilient organization that fuels engagement, Boosts agility, and drives lasting change. He started off his career really young in his twenties and built a company that was called Innerland. It's now web.com sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars in the IPO. And since then he has just done a lot of other cool things at new relic. He helped grow, uh, grow revenues to 500 million. And at Cox automotive, those are the people behind the Kelly blue book. He built those brands and was responsible for the billion-dollar portfolio that they built there. Interestingly, that's just right across the street from me, basically. Very impressive, Ken. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic, and good to see you. And it's it's funny to to to, to find out that we're both uh, in Atlanta.
2: Yeah, we're only about five miles away from each other, and so uh, we will have to go get lunch soon. Kid, what are you good at? What's your specialty? What makes you better than the other guys?
1: That's a, that's a really good question. I, I would say, you know, probably my, my, my secret sauce, which is started as a, as a kid, is I always love to, to solve problems and work really hard at solving problems, you know, and that started probably when the, I wrote my first commercial software package, you know, my early 20s.
2: What did it do? Was that web.com?
1: No, actually, that was much, much before web.com. Um, my first software package, you know, I, I taught myself programming. I've always been kind of, there's three things they call, you know, the salesperson, you get that, and there's kind of a product person that really thinks about that business problem and then a coder. And I remember one day I was walking down the hall and there was this line of people standing in, in line to go to this thing called a fax machine. And I thought, wow, that's incredibly inefficient. The next day, I wrote a piece of software that allowed everybody to fax straight from their desk, and that turned out to be a million-dollar product the next
2: year. Wow, pretty cool. And what are you working on now? So tell us about the latest thing.
1: Yeah, so, so the latest thing, um, I'm actually the COO of a company called Blameless. And we have customers like Ticketmaster, Home Depot, and we really automate. You know, you think about when software breaks, you know, people have to fix the software, have to communicate with people about the software, and then have to make changes. So hopefully the software never breaks the same way. So we provide that to enterprises uh, across the world. and. That's, that's what I do. It's a San Francisco-based company, even though I'm here in Atlanta, and we work with the global team. So that's the day-to-day uh, job. And you know, obviously, having seen so many companies, I really wanted to share some of the patterns, and you know, that's where Business Breakthrough came out.
2: All right, let's talk about the book. 3.0, I, I, I felt challenged immediately that I didn't know what Business Breakthrough 1.0 and 2.0 were. Was that The Wheel and Fire?
1: That's a good good point. Wheel and
2: fire. Well, we feel like
1: there's was was a lot of businesses, a lot there's a lot of books out there, whether it be EOS or different types of things, that start with kind of basic frameworks. But in many, many cases, they really don't help companies first identify what I almost think is kind of those hidden things, those entrenched patterns in your company that are holding you back. And then further, you know, there are some clear patterns of the things that you need to do, but it's really how you do it. It's so we really wanted to make a book that really helped you diagnose your company. um, and then implement some specific things in the right way so that you'll get results.
2: All right. What do you mean? Diagnose my company, figure out what's holding back or what my KPI is. What does the diagnosis mean and look like?
1: That's well, a good point. I think the the, the the there's a number of steps, you know. But if you think about the process, it really is, the, you know, implementing a, se- a series of things that first really help you identify what is holding you back. Because a lot of times, you know, we're all humans, and you I always think of businesses are a collection of of humans that believe in a particular company. Maybe they believe in its mission. Maybe they believe simply they're going to get a paycheck. But you need to have data. You know, there's a big term around data-driven. You need to have data to really understand what's working in your organization what's not and there's some fundamental things that you have to implement to really kind of break through and get that massive scale and you know in my career i've been able to not only my my first you know in in my personal life you know work with companies where it started with you and i are putting our desks together to a couple of years later, it's 300 million. I've worked with, you know, Fortune 50 companies where we've gone from 300 to 900 million in, in a couple of years. And there's some clear patterns to really break back and, you know, kind of break through to really get to that massive scale. Like what? Well, I, there's there's kind of really you know five key parts. I'll maybe I'll go to the first one, and it, it will sound basic at first. Everybody's heard about you know let's create a company mission, vision, set of core values. Most companies have that. They typically put it you know on on a, a whiteboard or something. Or maybe if you have an office that you're entering, and everybody hears that, and it's, you know maybe on, on the website. But a lot of companies don't live their company mission, vision. And set of core values and one of the things i've seen is very very consistent with companies that scale um, is they get really clear on who are we what's our mission what's our vision what's our set of core values and they implement that in- every part of the organization from how they treat their employees to how they hire, to how they work with their customers. It's kind of a North star. And so we talk about how of course you create it. And there's plenty of books on that, but really how do you live it? That's one of the things that many, many companies don't do. It's kind of, there's this persona that's on the board, what's what's on the website, but it's not something that they live and activate on in all of those interactions. Again, whether with their employees, new employees, existing employees, or um, customers. And that's the first step that we talked through in the book.
2: Right. So we'll come back to the others in just a minute. But, you know, I always find that these, I don't know, missions or vision statements, they sound like a bunch of MBA students got together in a room and masturbated with a Scrabble board, you know? I mean,
1: they don't- Totally, spot on. It, not, not only that, but it was created- it was, I like to call it as a project, right? Is, hey, we need to have a mission, vision, value. Let's all go and uh, have pizza on the weekend or maybe it's a retreat, as you just said, or let's get some MBAs in here to write some stuff up. Great, we wrote it. Does that sound fantastic? Put it up to the side, put it on the website and they're done. And that is absolutely wrong. Every company that I've worked with that scales, that attracts the right talent, they all live it. And so literally from, if we're hiring somebody, is this person aligned to those mission vision values? Even if they're a fantastic hire to solve the technical aspects, we're not going to hire them because they're not a fit. Same thing as we've got somebody that's a superstar in the company, you know, they're, they're killing their sales numbers Their divisions number one, but they're not aligned to the mission vision value companies that really get it they work those people out of the organization because it's critical to embrace an example, it and make it real. Ben,
2: of an organization that had one that really was central.
1: Uh, well I'll give you a good example. The time I was at new relic, um, had a fantastic mission, vision value that everybody did live. Um, you know, is it was a, again, just a good example. Like I'll say, I'm hiring the engineering talent. There was somebody that came from an interview and, um, Seemed like they would be absolutely um, fantastic, technically. They could totally do the job, had a tremendous amount of experience, had been at some other um, well-known technology companies. But it was very clear to us, one of the things we said is, you know, bring oneself. To the business so be in other words be transparent you know many times in business you have your business self and your real self the things that i really loved when i was at the time i was in New relic is it was bring your, your one self bring your true self and it was clear that this person is not someone that operated that from the interview process it was somebody that you could tell would be be one of those people that probably would say one thing to somebody else and then say what somebody else wanted to hear in a different meeting versus share what they actually thought and uh, although it was a perfect fit and could potentially a great technical hire, we didn't hire them. And th- we made those decisions repeatedly. And th- that allowed us to really attract the kind of people that we wanted that wanted to be honest, right? Have that honest conversation. Hey, if things are working great, if things aren't working, that's just as fine. But we're going to have that honest conversation.
2: All right. So if we don't put this together, at an MBA retreat, how does it get put together correctly? So what is the, I mean, if it's not spontaneous, if it's not planned, how does it get there, Ken?
1: Well, I think it, it, it depends on where you're at in the company. In, in many cases, you think about like a startup. Sometimes it's not even written down. No one did it. It's just simply the energy and what the, maybe the founder has presented. And so you might be in, in that case. And in some, in some cases, you didn't have a mission, vision, value that maybe people were living. It was just really the essence of the leader. So that's something where you might have a group and sit down and say, let's, let's have a cross functional group from different people in the organization and document it. In, in other cases, you might have a company, you know, again, going, depending on where you're at, where they have a mission, vision, value statement, but it's not aligned with who they truly are. In both of those scenarios, what I always say is you want to have a cross-functional group. You don't want to have just a bunch of executives. You want to have a set of people, individual contributors, executives, when you're you're building it and documenting it. So it really is cross-functional and captures the essence of your company. You want to have some high performers. You might even want to have some low performers. You want to have that cross-section when you're creating it so it's authentic that's the key part is it's authentic to who you are. I've worked with some companies where in, in some cases they had a really, I'll call it a nice personality as far as what they had documented. But in talking to the teams, it really was a super hard driving organization, maybe not as nice as they were presenting. And I simply shared them. I said, listen, I'm listening to everyone in this room. And I hear what you 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 say you would like to be, but does that sound like what you are? Do you want to change the company culture Um, Or do you want to just align and be honest with what you are? And in that case, as they said, no, this is a hard charging organization. Let's go with that. Because again, it was cross-functional. And um, then they attracted those type of people, um, which again, made the company super successful because they were aligned and activating with what they were. So to answer your question specifically is when you create it, you want to have a cross-functional set of people. Once you have created it, you want to make sure that it's actively used in your hiring process, in your reward system oftentimes you know like who who in your company really um is an example of your mission vision value of showing those kind of characteristics so you want to reinforce that once you've actually built it
2: but what if we don't even have a cross-function team yet what if it's just the two founders should the two founders not be having this conversation or should they wait until they have a cross-functional teams
1: no no I, I I think that's great well here's what I'd say the reality is as many times when it's a founder I take it myself is uh, you know when I did innerland I don't know if we sat down and did a mission vision value but You know, I was the founder and my personality was was big and it kind of almost created the mission vision value. So I would say many times when it's just two founders, it's great to document it. I think it's great to say, hey, what do we want to have? And so that would be my recommendation. If you haven't done that and you're a little bit further along, then it's really documenting the culture that you already have.
2: All right. And how do I how do the two of us decide what that's going to be? It sounds like it would be really easy to go in there and just, you know, pretend a lot of stuff, or to be really egotistical with what you think you can achieve in terms of a culture. How do you yeah. set a realistic culture? Should it reflect the personality of the the founders? What, where does it come from? Well, I, I, Magna I, I, Carta. Do we start with the Magna Carta? <laughs>
1: Uh, re- re- really good question. W- what I would say is, and, and all and this is, uh, if you jump out startups is I'm a big believer in startups, whether you're building finishes, you really need to think, okay, it's two years from now we've built a really successful company, whatever trying to do, what does it look like? What did we achieve? What was the mission that we went on? What was the vision that we thought we we're going to do it? What are the values that our teams show on a day-to-day basis and at that point it really is that vision statement it's almost kind of like if you think about amazon how they create a press release before they built a product and then they build a product to make sure that that press release is true i think if you're at that early stage it really is visioning what is the values what you know what do we care about personally what do we want this company to be about and you've seen that you know and companies like Zappos. It's very, it's, that is one of the most common ways that founders do is they sit down, they think about the vision of what kind of company they want to create, um, what kind of mission they want to go on, and then articulate that to everybody. You know, at New Relic, it was a great example as Lou Cerny, who is the CEO, exactly did exactly that. As he, he was very clear, he had done another company, and he was very clear about the culture and the mission that he wanted to go on. He wrote that down from the beginning, I think, um, having some wine in, in France.
2: Well, it sounds like it's going to be, uh, an interesting mission anyway, then if it's created while drinking wine in France,
1: (laughs) that's right. It's going to be inspirational. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well,
2: what should it be? Should it be inspirational? Motivational? Should it um, set some boundaries in terms of behavior? We're not going to lie is a boundary. It's a behavioral rule. It's not a, how do, What should it look like?
1: Well, I think there's three components to it, right? So one is your mission, is what's the thing that's gonna make everybody wake up every day and want to go forward? So that you want that to be um inspirational. So it's a mission that people can get excited that you're excited about. Why'd you even start this business? I think the vision is the same thing, okay, now that we've got that vi- mission of where we want to go, what's that vision look like when we got there? Here's, here's what it really, really looks like. And I think the point that you were hitting on, then there's your core set of values, is what, what is acceptable, what's not? Like, we're always going to be transparent as a company, or whatever it is. That's really your guardrails for how people operate you know, in, in your company, if that makes some sense.
2: Yes, Yes, it does. And my marriage is like that. I always say that my wife is my guardrails. And
1: yeah, totally. Uh, I'm going on 20 years, um, so I, I do that. And I also refer to, you know, somebody says, hey, can you do that? And I go, let me, I don't know, let me talk to the boss. So it's extreme guardrails for me.
2: Yes, I have shiny ball syndrome. And <laughs> she uh, helps with uh, keeping me in check. Yes, so, We had five parts and we've spent a lot of time on number one. We better dive in and get some of the others before we run out of time here. So help us with some of the others.
1: Yeah. And I'll try to go through them relatively quickly. The next one is really, I'll call it a solid framework to organize Company decision making. I'll use a technical term and then I'll explain it. There's a thing called critical thinking frameworks. And I'm a big believer, you know, I'm, I have this term outcomes over activity versus activity over outcome. And what a critical thinking framework, there's lots of them. I like the one called objective key result, basically says, hey, what are the things that we're trying to accomplish in each of the teams? So for example, sales, it might be easy. We're trying to sell more customers, retain customers, um, customer success. It might be, we're trying to get a, a net promoter score and, you know, have, uh, you know, uh, low set low sense of churn Um, product might be we're delivering certain types of products that are going to drive revenue but the key part is in your organization is go through your organization first at the executive level and down there's again these frameworks which we talk through in detail how to implement in the book and put those through so that everybody's focused and aligned to here's the business outcomes we're trying to achieve And you might say, well, that's logical. Doesn't everybody do it? No, many, many companies are focused on the tactics of doing it. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do X activity, I'm going to run this program, I'm going to launch this piece of software. And you may launch a bunch of software that doesn't deliver value to your customer. What you really want to do is um, generate more sales. And so when you change it to outcomes that are business outcomes, it really aligns everybody across the organization. And, And I'll just add just an example of this. You think in a lot of large companies, they might have some project and this this is pretty common is there's a project maybe there's project manager maybe you're transforming something you're building something and you know you're not doing things right when you see that the status is green on activity 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 and then you get towards the end and someone says wait we started this to accomplish a b and c we're nowhere near that and that's where you see somebody who you know launched a product that actually doesn't serve customers or did a transformation that fails, you know. I was working with a, a Fortune ten healthcare company, and they had done um, quote cloud transformation literally three times, because every time it was, um, hey, we installed this cloud thing success but then they turned around and they couldn't actually solve any of the business outcomes so i know that sounds a little bit complicated but i think about it is let's get everybody focused on objectives versus tactics and the key part is when you do that it allows your team members to instead of be a cog in the wheel and just do the activities that you've told them to do they can pivot they can pivot as long as they're still driving towards the business outcome so that's a really key thing that really really helps business like what are why are we doing this?
2: All right. You want to keep going through the rest? Yeah.
1: Let me just go pick the last couple of ones. So that was a lot. Obviously you need to measure that data and use it correctly. You need to optimize your organizational structure. I always say you get what you organize for. It's a simple phrase, but something maybe that your listeners can think about is when you see, you know, repeated people like, you know, ignoring each other or not working together nine times out of 10, Think about who reports to who and what expectations have been set. It's almost always an organizational design thing versus a people issue. And, and most of the time, people are like, "Why is that person not performing well?" or "Why are people ignoring that particular group?" It's almost always the way they're organized. And I'd say the the last part, and this is again, when you think about sales, think about how you're selling your product. You know, if it's a, a retail sales product, if it's a software sales product, is this something where the values evident? Is it something that we have to explain to our customer and nurture them along? How are we going to build that long-term relationship? And in the book, we go through a number of different strategies that work for different types of products, whether it be retail product that really helps you build a customer and keep a customer of the long-term.
2: Ken, so decades ago, one of my mentors was a guy named Tony Amon. He lived on Pace's Ferry over by love it and was the guy that invented diet Coke and could mix it up in his basement. He had a bar in the basement and he could make you a diet Coke from scratch from the uh, raw elements. And he helped me get into Coca-Cola and we were talking and I was learning from him and he said that, you know, everyone it's not designed to be the CEO and that you're going to advance as far as your abilities will let you. And if you expand your abilities, you'll expand your abilities to advance, but that everyone has an upper limit that he had to realize that he was never going to be the CEO, that that was not part of his balawick that he wasn't necessarily going to be good at that. He was very diplomatic, very, uh, He could have been a a great government official, perhaps. Uh, Very smooth and sophisticated. The essence of European suave. But he, he established that he had a limit. You, in one of your major thesis points, is that there's no limit to everyone's potential. Well, I don't know. You're not the President of the United States
1: yeah, no, that's true R- really good point and and I think it really is going back to potential like. F- I actually believe everybody has the potential to be what's right for them. So I think to your your friend's point, I think that's fair. You know, I'm not going to be a movie star or a basketball player or a football player. You know, that's not in the cards for me. But I think my, my goal is to be the best me, to bring out what my capabilities are and bring them to the maximum. And So when I say potential, I think about for each of us, we have different potentials that we can go to, but oftentimes, you know, you don't live up to your potential because you often don't challenge yourself. And so like, People that work for me, for example, I'll often tell them, say, so listen, I'm going to push you to the edge of your comfort zone. Um, and it's not to be difficult. It's to challenge you to be go as far as you can so you can understand what your full potential is. Not that everybody's full potential is uh, limitless, but I think it's oftentimes a lot more than they've uh, put themselves to. And if you start to challenge yourself, you'll find out what your full potential is. You know, I think about myself, you know, I grew up in a, a mobile home parks, very poor, dysfunctional family, but, um, you know, I challenged myself to do more yeah. and I've had people, you know, that have worked for me that were, uh, shy, um, held themselves back. And just by encouraging them, I've seen them go on and become CTOs of companies. So I just think that there's a lot of people living below their potential, and I love to try to help challenge them to to get to their potential, whatever that is for them.
2: All right. I, as a boss, how do I do that with my staff? And this is important. I don't want them to get so Good at realizing their potential. Can that I train them and then they up and leave? Damn it! You know what I mean. I, and there's this huge paradox here. I want to help them and make them better, but not so much that they leave. Well, here's my opinion.
1: I think that if you, um, I'm, I'm a big believer that if you if you do the right thing, the right things will happen. And in my experience, I've grown lots of people. Yeah, some of them have left and they've gone on and set amazing career um some of them have stayed through thick and thin through really tough times and things that we've done through organizational and i've seen that i'm a big believer is grow your people be honest and transparent with them and they will do what's right for them and right for you and i've just seen that too many times so i'm a big believer is pour into them don't worry about them leaving and the right thing will happen i've just seen it too many
2: times all right great attitude. How do we find out more? Follow you online. Get a copy of Business Breakthrough
1: 3.0. Thanks for asking. You can go to my website, Ken, K E N, last name G A V as in Victor, R A N O V I C dot com, to learn a little bit about me. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find the book on Amazon. You know, Barnes and Noble, almost all all e retailers. It's Business Breakthrough 3.0. And of course, one of the things I love to do is I actually work with people, um, you know, in the evenings, love to help. So if you read anything and I can help you, feel free just to send me an email at, Ken, at kengaronovic.com. I'm glad to see if I can help you in any way.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta? I really like Bones. We're going there on Friday yes been there what 30 years now yeah totally something like that what do you are you uh, simple what do you get there do you have a favorite dish
1: Uh, nice nice filet steak
2: simple yep yep Ken, greatly appreciate your time i hope the book sells well for you and congratulations
1: thanks yeah we actually a couple weeks ago hit amazon bestseller so appreciate it appreciate the time and thank you so much
2: and we will be right back. Well that's a that's a that's a wonderful question, actually Jim. Oh, my gosh. I
0: love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's that's awesome.
2: that's a great one. You know,
1: that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question and and I don't have a great answer.
2: That's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really
0: good question. School for startups radio right <laughs> <laughs> I finished it. Don't worry. I did finish the shows.
2: We um, are back. And again, thank you so much for being with us. Our next guest just admit that I put him to sleep several nights oh in no. a row. <laughs> Please welcome Ian Zhu to the show. He is building an incredible new business called School, Thought, well, School Joy. It is an AI-powered education management solution. So my understanding is that it helps or uses AI to figure out What your kid needs more of, we will make sure he explains it correctly. He has had a career in the tech industry and has been involved in the education sector for quite a while as an advisor and a volunteer and pairing those together in addition to his own journey as a student have all led to school. Joy, Ian, welcome. How are you doing?
0: Jim, thank you so much, and uh, you did not put me to, put me to sleep. And oh, it's uh, truly, <laughs> truly and uh, uh, truly an honor knowing the guests that uh, have come on to your show. So thank you, uh, thank you for the wonderful opportunity, and uh, look forward to telling you a bit more about education and in uh, AI.
2: So tell us about School Joy. How does it work? Who are who are the target kids, students? Yes, what sir.
0: age? Yeah, so we are, we built School Joy for administrators, teachers, and parents. We were very intentional to not want to stand in the way between the teacher and the students. We, we think students have the adults in their lives to support them, but it's the adults that could uh, use a bit more help from AI. Um, so just to give you some examples, the way, maybe I'll start with some, some scenarios here, Jim. So imagine a kid goes home, right? And the parent asks, how is your day? <laughs> what, what typically would the kid, uh, would the kid answer?
2: I don't know, buh It's fine. <laughs> right.
0: And let's go through another scenario where, great, now that the kid has gone into college, um, what is probably the hardest decision for that child to, to choose to make?
2: In college?
0: Mm-hmm. Or before when they apply, when they have to choose what colleges? And also what do they want to do,
2: what they want to be.
0: Exactly. Um, and even after they figure that out, let's say they finally picked a major after or before they graduate. Then they have to think about what jobs and careers to go for. Right. So to us, those are the problems that we're extremely passionate about. Because we think K-12 is not just a, an education problem, but it's a workforce. It's a workforce challenge as well. And these are all underlying symptoms of what I think are underlying issues uh, in our education system. And look, I've talked to so many superintendents and administrators and teachers. Everyone's working really, really hard to make sure that the kids can live a fulfilling life after they leave school. But in our view, I think our teachers in schools are fighting this battle with an arm tied behind their back. Because if we look at the social media sites out there, the TikToks and the Instagrams and the Snapchats, these platforms have way more data about our kids than what our schools do. Right? They know what our kids do. Very scary. Yeah. And, And they're using that information to... It's letter grades, right? It's homework assignments, and it's transcripts. So what chance do our schools have when they're fighting social media platforms that know what our kids want before they even know it. So what we're asking for and what we're trying to do is to give schools and districts a more holistic picture of how the kids are doing so that when the kids go home, the parents can ask, how are you doing? Of course, we want a child to have a conversation, but sometimes they might just not want to say it, but at least a, a system can help bring a lot of that information together. Because what they are choosing to do at school, what clubs they join, what community service hours that they have logged, the information that the teachers have about the kid that they can write down, all of that information is really, really valuable to actually think about the holistic child. And that's one of the things that AI can do is to bring all of that information together and present it in a narrative that a parent and teacher can quickly pull up for whatever conversation or learning experience that they're about to figure out for the child and make it make sense. So that's the first thing, which is to bring a lot of the data that we have about the child and create new information about the student so that we can really empower the teachers and parents to do their jobs.
2: Okay, so a school district buys the platform and then Mm -hmm. the teachers are putting information in? Are you scraping data? Yeah. Is that how does it how does that Yeah, happen? we uh we meet
0: we meet the kids where they are. So if you we if we think about something that's that seems trivial, like clubs, right? Every every school and district have clubs. That information is not very well maintained and managed. But it, it actually says a lot about what the kid likes, what their interests and hobbies are. Uh, we also provide uh, different types of interest inventory assessments and career assessments just to give districts a better insight into what career directions and skills that the kids are leaning towards. We do also help districts track skill hours that the uh, the students are developing. So let's say they go to an event or they do a community service activity. They can actually tag the skills that they learned and so can the adults. The adults overseeing the activity can also tag the student with the skills. So that's getting pretty granular. So what, what I'm trying to say is, There are a lot of activities that are taking place on campus, but those activities are not being captured by the traditional systems. But we create a platform to not just use AI, but we actually create a platform to capture all of that data as well.
2: All right. Very interesting. And then the parent signs on and gets the AI assessment of my child. Is that it?
0: No, uh, so the kids can sit down for 10 minutes. We have a a launch pad assessment that combines their uh, career assessment, their learning preference, and also interest inventory. Like, you know, what are are your favorite sports? Right, so all of that information, it's just a 10-minute assessment. The kid can sit down, and usually our schools will have the kids sit down in English class or math class, and everyone does it. And that information alone is already very powerful to create a very indiv- individualized learning experience for every child. Okay. And I can, Go ahead. Keep um, going. Yeah, I can give you an example. So Please. imagine there was a student, Zoe, right? So Zoe, she's in 10th grade. She loves soccer. She's just a huge soccer fan. She also has a bit of an old She loves jazz. How can we teach math using soccer and jazz? Well, that's kind of difficult for a teacher to really think through. And not just think about it for Zoe, but think about it for every child, right? Because there could be an infinite (laughs) number of combinations of interests out there. But this is a really easy thing for AI to solve for. Because what we can do now is to not only create worksheets, but possibly, down the line, entire textbooks. That teach Zoe, Algebra 1, using only soccer and jazz. And now if Johnny's next door, he loves football, we can technically use AI to write an entire math book, textbook, focusing only on how to use football to teach Johnny algebra one. And that is really just part of the use cases and the potential of taking AI and creating extremely individualized learning experience for every child.
2: I love that idea. Ian, that's really powerful. And, uh, that just makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, very cool. We're we're excited for it. (laughs) All right. So I think we understand the business now. (laughs) Talk to us about it as an entrepreneur. So how far are you down the path as a business? How'd you get the idea for this? What did you do first? All that kind of stuff. And I'll interrupt frequently. How'd you get the idea? Yeah. Um, so just a bit,
0: a bit more about my background, Jim, I've you know, if there's one thing that defines me is I just don't fit in anywhere <laughs> and I still don't fit in. Right. If you look at my background, I'm an entrepreneur in ed tech. I don't have a Ph.D. Uh, in education, nor do I have a CS background. So what gives me the right right to solve for this problem? And a lot of it was really based on my personal conviction. So. I came to the U.S. when I was 11, and I was in the um, ESL program. And that's really all the teachers cared about is to kind of take care of this, uh, you know, this uh, foreign student, make sure he can't exit the ESL program, just do a decent job in class. Um, And that's all people care about. And I felt invisible. I felt invisible to to the adults around me. um, And then I worked really hard. And in high school, sure, I got good grades, but You know, I was very active with clubs, um, but none of these activities and none of the leadership experiences really showed up anywhere um, in the official documents, right? So we're all defined uh, as a student by our transcript. So we're either a 3.0 student, 3.5 student, right? That number defined us, Um, but I knew, you know, I was more than that and kept working really hard, um, was lucky enough to get to getting to Berkeley. And I would say the defining experiences and what I truly learned, I love my classes, don't get me wrong, but the skills I acquired came from the consulting projects I worked on, right? And those skills helped me get a job at a consulting firm and eventually at a technology firm. So thinking back to my entire journey, I just knew the quickest path to how I became successful were not necessarily the classes, but the skills I developed and that intuition just helped me really guide my thinking around education. So after my last job, I just said, look, I want to be an entrepreneur because that's probably the only path I can take to go for the life that I think I want, but also to leave the impact I want to make. So I quit my job, believe it or not, I uh, I traded options for a year (laughs) to sustain myself. And also an education nonprofit. So I just, so I used that money, funded the nonprofit for a year, and we were focused on project-based learning and integrated uh ES, uh integrated arts and uh, STEM courses. And it was great. Um, but I observed and learned a lot of the inefficiencies. I think in the procurement process. That's why I kept it as a nonprofit because I know I knew nothing. I didn't know enough to really make a business out of it. And then after a year, I was lucky enough to finally have met uh, an investor that believed in me, uh, put, brought, brought together a team. And now we have a very robust uh, technical team that's really passionate about the adoption of AI in education. And it's been just a true privilege to be able to pursue a vision and passion. Uh, and I know I'm exactly
2: where I'm meant to be. And what kind of success have you had so far in terms of sales or penetration or? Any of that kind of stuff. If we're
0: talking about uh, metrics, I think we are just about to really get into um, some very large districts. But with the education sales cycle, as you may know, it's very long. So as far as how long we've been really selling the entire vision of AI, it's been only three months. And we're early. But we're about to launch pilots with some very well-known districts in the country as well. And we're making... Uh, we're making headway in Indiana, uh, Georgia, uh, Kentucky, uh, and of course, California. So we're about to also head head over to some conferences. So hopefully you'll hear more of us, Jim, <laughs> over the next course uh, of the year. Uh, but you know, as far as where we currently are, we're pretty early.
2: What about a consumer product, Ian? So yeah, i you know, I wish I had had better help uh trying to figure out what i wanted to do and i went to the entire everything i did was wrong every yeah. single thing what are obviously you're going yeah, yeah yeah like you've obviously thought about this what are your thoughts <laughs> on a consumer product that helps 16 17 18 year olds figure out what the hell they are <laughs>
0: yeah uh we, we would love to be able to launch a consumer product that can just catch fire and go viral. Um, but our assumption is that districts ultimately have a lot more data uh, that, that we still need. So whether it's their academic data, attendance data, and if we look at who is the largest buyer of educational services and products in the US, it, it is in fact the US government. They spend, I think, uh, a bit over $800 billion a year. Um, the sales cycle is something that we're concerned about. Uh, and I think, we're um, developing the right partnerships and a channels to help us mitigate some of that risk and the seasonality of the business. The consumer product is not out of question. Um, we are, we're actively thinking about if it's not a consumer product, how can we actually go, quote, viral also? So that means we have to actually have a very robust free product that dist- districts can use and try. Uh, without incurring too much uh, implementation and incremental costs on our side. So that's something that we're actively building and working on. Um, and, and it's in direct response to some of the AI companies that we're kind of seeing starting to pop up a little a little bit. Um, but because we know we have probably one of the more um, in-depth technical uh, uh, implementation of AI, we're not afraid to make more of our functionalities free because at the end of the day, we know what we're competing on, which is uh, just probably one of the deeper integrations of AI, uh, and integrating that with a uh, with a district and a student data as well.
2: Well, I think you should go straight to the consumer with a free product that tells them, yeah. you know, screw the data and where it comes from. Gather new data, ask the the students a twenty point questionnaire, and pop out. What you think they should do using the AI or something? Um, yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's. Uh, so let's just keep thinking about that. I love that idea. So one of the things that we can do is I'll write have the you,
2: questions you, for you.
0: Please, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, are you, you know, a there programmer,
2: are, uh, Ian? Are you what? What's your skill set?
0: I tell stories, um, and I can learn very quickly, and. Even though I don't code, uh, I've been the principal designer around how we're adopting the different types of frameworks and designing the architecture of how we're really integrating AI. Um, so we are, in a way, so I, I, what we're really doing here, Jim, uh, is we're giving every district their own AI, right? So this is not just about a very simple integration with OpenAI's API. No, it's a closed AI where this system learns everything there is to know about the district so that anything that the district generates from SchoolJoy is tailored to their processes, policies, um, even their lesson plans, following their own writing styles and their own standards. And I really want to be a model for how AI can be integrated at the enterprise level. If we have the data and we know the objectives, and we give the AI some additional tools like writing emails or generating content, we actually have the building box to build a more autonomous system here now. So here's another example. And this is something that we'll probably be able to do in three to four months. Imagine your district's objective is to improve your overall eighth grade math scores. And now, a student gets a C on his math assignment. That can become a trigger event where the AI says, hey, this thing just happened that goes against your district's ob- objective. Let me now think about what actions can be taken to mitigate or to support that student a bit more. How about writing an email to the parent? How about generating additional activities and practice problems for the student? How about setting, setting a tutoring schedule? All of these tasks that AI can not only recommend, but actually execute given the permission from the teacher. And that's, that's just a way to think about a that really excites us because now we're automating away a lot of the tasks that the teacher shouldn't really be doing in the first place because they wear so many hats.
2: Yes, that is one of the biggest problems and they certainly get bogged down uh, yeah. in useless paperwork and such. Yeah. What about that? Well, the teachers, well, school joy Create work or take work away from the teachers?
0: Our job is, one, to do the job that the teachers simply don't have time to get to right now. They, they wear a lot of hats. They are project managers. They have to set up meetings. And in, in some ways, they have to be data analysts as well. So we want to be able to automate a lot of that for the teachers. And more importantly, our goal is not to do more things uh, to take work away from the teachers but to give them more time to spend with the kids so that they spend less time in front of the computer and more time in front of the students.
2: Well, that is a very good goal. What? When do you, for example, the career assessments, when does that uh, become valid data? How old does a child need to be for that to really work?
0: Yeah, in one of our upcoming partnerships with the district, they start from kindergarten. (laughs) There is an entire program where they start, where their goal is to get kids to experience different careers, dozens of careers throughout their K through twelve journey. And in a way, I think that's what it takes, right? For for the kids to really know what they want to do, that it has to be tangible. They have to experience it. This is not a problem that a simple assessment can solve for. <laughs> you know, this is something that it's going to take a while, and we hope that we can bring more awareness to this approach um, and, and in a way give that entire program superpowers. Because once we know the different careers that the kid is trying, just one artifact we can give to every child is an interview guide. We, I personally don't like the behavioral interview questions, right? Like name a time when you worked under pressure. And there are 20, 30 possible questions that a kid can get asked that, but when do they actually get training for it? So with AI, it can actually generate a training guide for every possible job position based on the student's own experiences. And that's just such a powerful way to prepare our future generation to think about, hey, I have these experiences and they actually matter. And it's ha- this is how my experiences can help me pursue the dream I want in my life.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. The opportunities for education, and I can't wait to see how this plays out Ian, and what role you end up having a fascinating story. Congratulations and great job on getting this far. I'd love to have you back as we learn more about the story. How do we follow you online and continue to hear?
0: Yeah. So our website is schooljoy.com, but if you just want to try it out, you can go to demo dot schooljoy uh, and our contact information is on there as well. My personal email is Ian at schooljoy and we'd we'll love to uh, we'd we'll love to stay in touch. And thank you so much for the opportunity, Jim.
2: Well, thank you for being with us. And I, as I said, I love this space, and can't wait to see how you uh, take over the world and get our kids to finally learn how to read, do math, and all that stuff.
0: That's right. And just do what they want in life and find their passions. Um, thank you so much, Jim. And thank you for what you're doing. And I'll continue to follow your podcast as well.
2: Well, thank you, Ian. Awesome story. We are out of time. Back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Go make a million dollars. Bye now.